0: G'day and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. One of the great things about working on The Mentor these days is that, and that's the TV show I'm talking about as opposed to the podcast, although the podcast is pretty cool too, is that I get to work with all different types of experts who have helped me out in each of the episodes. Last night on the show, I had Jules Lund from Tribe and also had Johnny De Francesco. It's a mouthful to say, but it's Johnny De Francesco, and he helped Mick with his pizzeria business. Why Johnny De Francesco? Well, he's an expert. He's the chef and he's the owner of the Italian restaurant group 400 Gradi. Now, they're a Melbourne-based group. I don't know if they're in Sydney. I'm going to ask him a bit in a moment or if he's got aspirations to be in Sydney. I've been to his restaurants. They're ace. And by the way, the reason they're ace is that Johnny is a great chef, but he also was named the world's best pizza maker in 2014. That's pretty cool. He knows how to make good product. He knows how to run restaurant businesses. and He knows how to attract attention and a whole lot more. So let's get into it. Johnny DiFrancesco, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me here, Mark. Yeah, cool. Now, 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 now. I didn't enough time to talk to uh when we're doing the show. And, uh, of course, you know, because the star of the show, the hero of the show really was Mick. So it was about Mick. Of course, yeah. But I want to dig in and talk to you about Johnny D. Francesco That's cool to me. I want to know a little bit about your story. Sitting here in a studio, um... I don't know, maybe maybe 45, 50 years of age. Wow, thanks man. You just put on about 15 years. I mean, no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I just i I barely just hit 40. 40 years well, I of can age, say 6 months I, ago. I was trying I was trying to be I was trying to be cool, but yeah, 48 40 years of age. Yep. You you're only 40? 40. 40 yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wife, family. Wife, uh, three kids. Three kids. How old yeah. kids? Uh,
1: my oldest is 17, 14 and uh 12. Married young. Married very young yeah. Yeah, like,
0: like, like a typical – well, okay, let's get back to the family. Let's get beyond your immediate family. Let's get back to your parents. Yeah. mum and dad Italian? Mum and dad Italian. Born in Italy? Uh, both born in Italy, migrated to uh,
1: Australia, when? Melbourne. Uh, first time in the 60s. Then they uh, took off again, went back to Italy. My uh, – yeah, so my, my sister was actually born in Australia. Then they went back to Italy. Then my brother was born in uh, Naples. And then, uh, then they came back in '77. Oh, my mum was about seven or eight months pregnant with me. Back then, you could fly; they wouldn't. There was no restrictions. Um, so, come back to Melbourne, and I was born in uh,
0: born in Melbourne. So, someone from Naples was called Neapolitan. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, you know, your family is from Naples.
1: Yeah. Look, um, would that be right? Yeah. Uh, town outside. It's a little town called Caserta, which is probably about 50k from Naples, but it's still part of the Campania region.
0: It's that. It's that region. Yeah. And and. You know, I don't want to just concentrate on pizza because you run Italian restaurants, but pizza is a big part of Australian cuisine, and it's a big thing that Italians actually introduced to Australians. Like you know, we were eating, uh, you know, steak and three veg. Um, <laughs> you know, I have, I have to say the same. My family also is from is from another heritage as well, but Australians were eating steak and three veg until. Italians and the Greeks, particularly the Italians. I think the Italians probably had a bigger influence on our cuisine. Yep. Um, and pizza was something that was adopted by Australians. And Naples, is that the birthplace of pizza or it allegedly? Is. Yeah, Naples is the uh, birthplace. It's, you know, it's
1: where where pizza originated from at the end of the day. You know, and a lot of people have different theories about it. But, you know, if you look back on history, you will find that uh, I think the first real pizza, you know, exposure was in 1889, um, by a pizza maker called Luigi. No, yeah, Esposito. I think it was not. No, no, no. Sorry, what was his name? Rafael Esposito. Yes,
0: Rafael Esposito. Um, he yeah. So he made the first margarita for the Queen. For Queen Margarita. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, by the way, that's my favorite pizza. That's the the flavor I like the most. And uh, people from Naples are very proud of this heritage, and so they should be very like you know. Italians love uh, football, right?
1: So in, soccer, in as yeah, soccer, well, soccer yeah. yeah. So in in Naples, you can imagine, um, Maradona and pizzas. Don't touch them. Like, don't talk bad about Maradona, and
0: don't take the uh, Neapolitan pizza away from them. They'll, they'll uh, because it, it and and it, and did you, you know, growing up in Melbourne, you grew up in Melbourne. Yep. Uh, so which part of Melbourne? uh Brunswick. I actually was born and. Uh, yeah, pretty much raised in Brunswick. Is that a, a good walk territory? Like, uh...
1: it well, it was. You know, funny that you say that because Brunswick was uh, not what it is today. I mean, you, you know, you visited the Brunswick site um, during the show, and mm. at the moment, Brunswick is really beautiful. You know, That's Sydney Road, right? Sydney yeah, Road, Brunswick. I don't know Ligon Street, Ligon street. Where, where we were. But you know, it's beautiful. A lot of people moving in, and and you know, it's becoming an amazing area. When I grew up, man, that was one place that you had to be careful walking on the street. That's how. That's How bad it was, right? Yeah, so um, like it, it was really
0: it, rough, mostly mostly um migrants there, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so it was really, really um, you know, broad community. And do you, did you have other family there? Like, did you grow up
1: in a big family? Nah, see, my my, my um, my situation is a bit different. I, I'm probably one of the most non traditional uh Italian family, all my upbringing because my parents actually um split when I was three. Oh, wow, so you know, my, you know, and but love my both my parents unconditionally both of them because at the end of the day they they treated me really well, and whatever happened between them happened you know it's not my problem <laughs> at the end of the day because totally. I was only a three year old kid but um yeah i I grew up in a in a family where I didn't have both my parents at home, and you know I could have had pretty much all the excuses in the world you know to yeah you know, i had I had that sort of stigma on my head where you know you I'd be going to school and people would say, oh, you know he doesn't
0: have a dad you know yeah, but yeah
1: Man, I had a dad. I just didn't have him living at home. Especially you know, 40 years ago. 40 years ago. It was yeah. really it was tough, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so that was a stigma. It was, yeah. So people would say, Oh, you know, you're uh, you know, oh you're you're gonna you're gonna grow up and probably end up in jail or on drugs or you know, all, all these sort of crazy things. And I'd be growing up as a kid thinking, why why are they thinking this about me? And I couldn't understand because for me it was normal. You yeah. know, from three years old, okay, I live with my mum and I see my dad on the weekends or whatever, you know, it was no no difference for me. Um, so growing up like that, I had all the excuses, you know, people, I grew up with, with, uh, with friends that, you know, would blame their parents for everything. And I used to think, why, why would you do that? You know, like, okay, you've grown up, maybe, you know, parents are fighting or maybe they've divorced at a later age in their life, but why the hell
0: do you have to blame a third party when your life is your life? That's how I see it. And I guess also that what that means, Johnny, though, is that you had a, a, Whilst your parents were split up, you had a, a stable upbringing, both loving parents. Yeah, no. Whatever the situation, they yeah. both loved you. Yeah. I mean, and I reckon where that blame game hap comes in is when it's not stable and we're looking for something to stabilise. So we use blame as a stabiliser. You obviously didn't need it. Yeah. I mean, what about you? Did, and growing up, were you in a sport? Were you like a. Did you play footy? Did you play soccer? Did you play AFL?
1: Um, no. I'll, yeah, I, I played some AFL um, yeah, until I was about 16. So, you know, I played with. Um, East Brunswick for you know for a couple of years, which was was grand Then with my my school, but my um, concentration was more on uh, music. So I was a drummer. Oh, I actually really drummed from ten years old to about you know just just before twenty, and then I gave it up because of business. Because I got into business at um, nineteen, so it was pretty tough to
0: keep. Uh, you Know, study because you've got to concentrate so on the drumming that was if you're going to learn. So, do you? I can't imagine living in a household with a kid who's a drummer. So, how <laughs> did that work? Do you have a set of drums at both mum and dad's house? No, no, just at mum's, but my mum was amazing.
1: never did I hear my mum complain once. And i tell you, I wasn't using any pads, and yeah. you know, these days I've got a literate kid at home. You know, if my kids jump on, and you don't hear anything, I was there banging away, no problem. And r- literally, I would um, practice, you know, anywhere between
0: two and four hours. A, a night, because you loved it. Loved it. Yeah, but I'm not worried about your mum. I'd, I'd be considering. I wouldn't want to be a neighbour. Yeah, neighbours love me. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and we were you a cheeky little kid. I little. I can bit. imagine a you bit, as a yeah, little I kid. I can imagine. No, you no. I,
1: look, you know what? I was, you got your
0: mate urging He's smiling. Like I, I, I just imagine as a cheeky <laughs> little
1: kid. I was. um You know, I wasn't a troublemaker. I was more of. uh I used to challenge people. Yeah, even teachers. You know, I mean, yeah, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I, I went to four different high schools and it wasn't because I got kicked out for um, being a troublemaker. I actually either got kicked out or left because I would challenge the teachers. I actually remember uh, <laughs> my accounting teacher, like, you know, I sat there and we used to have modules. You know, back, back when I was in year, year 11 and 12, uh, we could go on with our modules without the teacher you know, um, teaching us, you we could, just, advance, yeah, advance, you could advance. So I finished my, all my modules in the first two terms. So I had two, uh, other terms of pretty much doing nothing like, and so I would sit in accounting. I would still rock up the class, but I wouldn't do much. I'd, you know, do my own thing. I was actually all running uh, dance parties and stuff with friends. So I would, I'd be concentrating on that. You know, I mean, we ran one of the biggest dance parties that, that Melbourne ever saw. Um, and we were only four, 14, 15 years we old. We being UN. And me and my mates at school. You know, we we put together for business studies, and and uh, and I I launched this this uh, this this dance party, and we and that night, I thought, oh, I've stuffed this one up because Metro had their first underage dance party, which Metro was a yeah, massive yeah, yeah. club back then, right? I remember it. And I said to one of my friends, "We're in trouble, man. Like these guys, they've got all the marketing, but we went every single minute of the day to every." girls school that you can imagine and we were giving out passes, pre-sold tickets. And what happened on that night, we had a capacity of about um, 300 people at the hall that we were at and about a thousand people turned up and we didn't know what to
0: do. So we At 14 or 15? At 14, that's 15 years old. So it was, that was my first business experience. Where did these come from? Where, where did this uh, like, like entrepreneurial spirit or having a crack spirit or whatever you want to call it, where do you reckon that came from? Were you just born with it? Or? I, look, I'm not
1: sure. I think I think seeing my mum work two jobs, seven days a week, raise three kids, um, you know, and barely being able to put uh, food on the table pretty much because, you know, it was it was tough. It was tough in, you know, growing up in the 80s and or late 80s, early 90s. Um, you know, I remember my mum paying 17 to 20% interest on a, on, on a loan. And so she'd be working seven days um, and literally two jobs and going to work with her and helping her because I didn't want her to, you know, kill herself by the what end. What did mum do? she she used to, so she was a factory worker during the day and then at night she'd go and work in a restaurant and that's that's when i got exposed to it you know i was there you know washing dishes and and just giving her a hand because it was really really difficult so seeing that i think growing up and i was thinking to myself i i don't want to live that life i don't that's not something i want to do i want to i want to do something different i want to do something for myself you know i'd see all these restaurateurs and and i started you know getting the the edge but it's it's funny because at 12 and you know, this is a story I shared on on um, on my Instagram live that I do most Wednesdays. I shared a story a couple of weeks ago that the reason uh, well, there was a question: Why did you get into the industry? And and it wasn't because I loved cooking or anything like that. Honestly, I got into the, into the industry because I wanted to buy myself a pair of Nikes. <laughs> that's that's the truth, right? Because because I couldn't afford anything. I mean, my you know, my mum was working. I I felt so um, you know. Bad asking her. Oh, mum, can you can you buy me a pair of shoes? I mean, I was getting my the hand me downs from my brother. Who was you know seven years older than me, so I'd you know try and get some stuff off him. So I didn't we don't have to spend too much money. And so I went and worked uh, at it's a better restaurant than trying to steal a pair. I mean, like, well, let's uh, try to exactly, it. exactly, right. And a lot so, of the kids
0: around there would have been stealing a pair.
1: Correct. So you know, twelve years old, I worked six months, and and I bought my f- my first pair of Nikes that I seriously polished every single night because I needed them to last me as long as possible because I knew how hard it was to bloody work and get those uh, and get those shoes right. And, and and that was another thing: going to school and seeing my friends have the new things and the flashy stuff back then. You know, I mean, what whatever was in in those days and. I was going to school, you know, with what I had, you know, and half the time that was probably the reason why I used to try and not go to school um, as often. You know, I used to skip classes. I wouldn't I wouldn't didn't want to go to school. And then when I got offered a full time job in a restaurant, I thought, that's it, I'm going. That I didn't even want to do at school what fifteen. Nah, <clears throat> so I was actually working uh, five PM till one AM every every evening and then I'd go to school in the morning. Um you know, from, from 16, 15, 16 years old, I was doing that. And then when I finished uh, year 12, but I, I didn't actually finish um, or I didn't do my exams. Um, I got into a, an, an after um, graduate engineering course. And I seriously lasted, I'm not kidding, about a week and a half. I packed my <laughs> stuff and I walked out and I said, This is not for me. I'm, I'm, I need to open up a place. And I opened up my first. Um, what, 18, 19? It was 19 years old. Yeah. And, you know, I seriously begged and borrowed for every cent that, um, you know, that I had to open the restaurant. I I remember taking out – the craziest thing I ever did was I took out a lease on equipment. And, you know, for those of you who are out there listening to to me right now and, you know, there's equipment people that want to um, finance equipment, try to avoid it. It was the craziest thing. I remember and – and I put it into perspective – a dough mixer that cost me $2,500 to purchase – Ended up costing me about fifteen grand by the time I finished it.
0: Uh, but that's because because of all the interest and all correct. the fees and stuff like that.
1: So that's that's how I got into business, you know. And these guys were giving out money like like it was water. Then you know when I when I when yeah, I started yeah. um when Cause I because they, they,
0: they sucker punch blokes like you correct well, well, and me by the way they got me as well yeah. at the same age
1: right uh, so so I did that and and I my first business I lasted about um about a year and a bit a year and a month or so.
0: And and sold, what sort of business it was it? What were we selling?
1: I had a pizza cafe. Yep. So I opened up a place in, in Melbourne on Puckle Street.
0: How did you learn how to cook pizza? Through the years of working in restaurants. You just Yeah, so you picked it up yourself. Yeah, yeah. And you're confident enough, uh, I'll have a go at this and I reckon I can make a pizza on my own.
1: You know, I, I was 16, 17 working for these guys and I was thinking, you know, most of them had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and <laughs> I don't mean that by any disrespect. Like I would go in there as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old and i th- think to myself, God, that. you can do so much better. Like there there are so many systems. I was already thinking about systems at 16 years old. I was thinking you can put so many systems in place to avoid all these mistakes that are happening during the night or even or even during prep or even during your, your closing hours. And I would freak out because, I mean, we're, I'm talking about people that were in their 30s and 40s that were in business for 15, 20 years already. I think, man, what – what part of it did you miss in that whole time of being in business?
0: Because you're not a businessman. That's the problem. You well, were. Yeah. Well, right from the beginning. Wow. Well, you, you know, you and and as opposed to being a pizza maker. I mean, there's yeah. two things. There's chef, pizza maker, or being in the business of being a chef, and being, yeah. being being in the business of being a pizza maker. You're always going to be in the business of it. doesn't yeah. mean you can't cook. Correct. But, you, but that's your, the way your thinking is. And that's what these people listen to this show, there's a lot of people that they think they can go and do what you do. They can. But they've got to stop being thinking like a chef or a pizza maker and they've got to think like I'm going to be in the business of being a chef or be in the business of being a pizza maker, yep. which is what Mick's got to think about. As soon as Mick from last night's episode starts thinking about I'm in the business of being a pizza maker, he no longer has the authority to swear and carry on. Yep. What being in the business of a pizza maker is being in the business of nurturing people, looking after mm-hmm. them, making them feel comfortable, giving them good food too, good value. But part of the value is... Making it feel happy and comfortable, not scared or stressed out or whatever. Yep. and that's what you've. You, I, mean, I, I often wonder what, where people like you get this sense of right without even probably consciously thinking. Oh, I want to be in the business of being a pizza guy, mm-hmm. as opposed to being a pizza maker. I wonder where that comes from. I mean, I wonder whether your mother gave you and your dad. I don't know. Where 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 do you think it? Is? Where do you think that comes from? Having that broader outlook around being in business. Where do you think that came from? Did your mother instruct you or did you step back and sort of see mum – was it because of error that your mum might have been making and I could do better than what mum did or is it because mum did something that instructed you as well?
1: Look, my my mum mum my is a pretty strong person or very strong character, uh, you know, anyway. But I, I think growing up and seeing her really struggle, um, you know, sort of turn the light bulb on. More necessity. And, yeah. and And – you know, and also her drive, I think I get her my drive from her. Like, you know, you, you think about it today, you know, which mother would, would you know, raise three kids, uh, put them through school and work two jobs and in the interim of going from one job to another, food on the table, leave, come back at night, one o'clock in the morning and up again at five. Because, you know, for me, I saw that the, the hard work, I think I um, took that from my mum.
0: The hard work ethic? I,
1: yeah, the hard work ethic. Because you monkey see
0: monkey do I'm the same. You yeah. saw it? No one needed to tell me to do it. That's right. I saw it. That's, I just thought that's what everybody did. Yeah. And you're, you're the same. Yeah. But where did you think you got the the, the holistic view as to, and you know, I reckon I, could get a, I can systemize this better. I can actually have a better structure around this pizza business than, say, the guy that you were looking at when you were 16. Yeah. And then, of course, you decided to put it in action when you were 19. It doesn't always – but it doesn't always turn out successfully. I mean, you have got to have a few failures, in my view, before oh, it works.
1: You, you know, uh, and, and I'm glad you said that because for the first 10 years, for me, I ro- a, a lot of people would probably see my first 10 years as a failure. I see my first 10 years as my, um, as my, my teachings or my, my university degree. That's what yeah. I call it. And it was an expensive one because I lost so much money. You know, at 23, I had six um, pizza outlets in Melbourne that I was running and I'd systemized them. But there were structures in place that I didn't put, which today I understand, and I learned from that. So the, my business apprenticeship were those 10 years until I was about 29, were the mistakes. All the mistakes. You know, a lot of people don't know. I, we, me, me and my, uh, my wife and I, we, we lived off credit cards literally for 10 years and and when i say that you know i was financing a credit card the balance and then living off the ex you know the extra money and then financing the balance and then and we kept going like that getting another credit years. card just kept we kept going that way because it was we weren't making any money yeah. um and as much as people think oh you know that's that's probably not true it, it really is um so though i think the 10 years was where i was able to um implement all these systems in my current business today. So, when I, when I opened up 400 Grad in Brunswick, you know, it'll be 10 years this year. I opened up with the mindset of, okay, I'm going to do this and we're going to run it as a business, even though it is 100% my passion, what I want to do. Um, so, I implemented every single thing that I knew I, I,
0: you know, made mistakes in for the past 10 years. It's interesting you should say that, uh, Johnny, because I, I just, when you were talking about that, I was, I was thinking about something. There's a big theory go that's been going around for a long time, is that, <clears throat> excuse me, in order to be expert at something, you need to spend 10,000 hours of purposeful practice, like if you want to become a drummer. It's yep. not just, well, in my case, playing the piano. It's not about just playing like merry-go-round music or just banging away like that. You've got to actually be purposeful. In other words, you're going to say, let me try this, let me try that. What about I fade in, I fade out on the on the on how I hit it? How hit the drums? I don't know anything about drumming, but like same with music, you've got to fade in, fade out, like you try to be much more expressive. You might do forty hours of practice in a week, but twenty hours of that's purposeful purposeful. And I, when I when if you do a calculation or if I do a calculation, if I do twenty hours if, if you're running your business, your pizza business, for ten years and you do forty hours a week, you probably did eighty hours, but you 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 might find that twenty hours was very purposeful. In other words, we're thinking about, hang on, what about if I change this, change that? Because the rest of the time you're going, shit, I've got to get the pizza out right, because someone's made an order. So let's say you do 20 hours of purposeful practice making and running a pizza business for 10 years a week. That's 10,000 hours. Yep. So it actually took you 10 years to become an expert at running your Italian food business. Yep. It took me that same amount of period, not same same length of time, but the same amount of practice to actually get the wizard business right. Yep. Um, and they say that Nobody become. Doesn't matter how naturally talented you are, unless you do that purposeful practice for that amount of time, you won't become an expert. And you've got to be an expert to run the business properly. And during that ten thousand hours, you might fail a few times, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. The failure parts is not important. It's about the purposeful practice. What do I learn today? What did I learn when I did one hour purposeful practice? Mick thinks he's he's the same as you were when you started up 400 um, four hundred grading. Yep, he's twenty eight, twenty nine. But Mick's only been in business three years and he's worried about all the stuff that he's not doing right. He should not worry about that because, like you said to him when we did the interview, we did a long interview, we had, had to cut it short in the show. But when you said to him, I said, mate, you said to him, I said, Mick, you know, like you've only been a little while. He's too hard on himself. Too many listeners are too hard on themselves when yep. they go into business. They say, oh, shit, why aren't I doing what Johnny D. Francesco's doing? Why aren't I as well-known? Why don't I have restaurants all around the joint? Why aren't I, why aren't I like Johnny? Well, there's a reason for it. You haven't done your practice yet. Yeah, you know, like what do you think about that? Like, like this practice process and people being too tough on themselves, especially when they're in small business in the food game. Hundred percent. It's it's the apprenticeship.
1: It's the apprenticeship of business. You know, and people tend to forget that. People think I'll oh, make the best pizza, and, and you're you're right. You're not. Yeah. There's so many other you know aspects behind it. It's not just a, that's one one part of it. So many other parts, and people forget that. Right. Um, it's funny enough you say that I mean you probably don't know this my son he, he lives in Italy he's been there for three years he's been there since he was 11 years old he plays football in Italy or soccer um, he must be talented He's look he's, he's a, he's a, he's, he hasn't got he's, he's talented but one thing that he does have that I see that a lot of his other teammates don't have my son has this work ethic behind him when it comes to training when it comes to being disciplined and I look at that and I think, wow, man, has, has he picked that up from because he see he's seen how hard I've worked, probably all these years, right? And you know, I mean, he's only he's only 13, fourteen now. You know, he just signed a four year contract. and He's going to be there till he's nineteen. For me, that's I look at that and I think, wow, man, you know, he's achieved more than I have. That's how I look at it. And and you know, I've got businesses in Melbourne and 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 around the world now. You know, and I still look at my son and think. Man, you've achieved more than me at your age. I wish I had that opportunity. And the reason why I say that is because people have endless opportunities in life. It's are you going to take it, or are you just going to sit on it, right? So if, and whinge and whinge. There's no time for whinge. You know, <laughs> it drives me crazy. I I get I get chefs or pizza makers coming to um, restaurant and they say to me, "Oh, you know, this is the way I do it." And and I could see their technique is not right. And talking about that ten thousand hours, I say to them. Well, that's how you've been shown. So if you've done this for the last 10 years, you know, because most of them come in, I've got 10 years experience. And I said, you've done it wrong for 10 years. So you've become an expert at actually doing it wrong. Yeah. Right. So now I need to rejig your whole mindset behind it to try and make you do it right. And you don't have 10 years with me because I know you're not going to stay here 10 years, but I hope that I've made a difference that when you do go away,
0: you are going to implement and keep, practicing what i've shown you and And what you've learned over 30 years correct you're showing them something you've been learning all your life correct and that like how important is that to them like i mean i know you've helped mick out in the past um like he can learn in one day what you might have taken 10 years to work out yourself thing is
1: in my mind and this has probably happened with you when you've given um when you've given you know mentoring sessions or some um you know some you know help or help other businesses what you may have in your mind, you think that it's really easy because you know, but then when you give that information to someone and they didn't know about it, they walk away thinking, wow, that was nothing. But it's taken you how long? to yeah, actually forever. Right, to 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 <clears throat> to gain that
0: that experience and you give it away in 15 minutes. And that's what paying forward's all about. Correct. Which is what you did in the show. Mate, we're going to have a break because yep. we're going to talk to our sponsors and then I come back and I want to talk about a whole lot of stuff. I want to talk about last night's show too. I want to... I want to talk about Mick. Mick got a bit nervous about stuff. So I want to, about how he, he thinks he's looked at or perceived by the show. I think he came across looking like he just jumped off the cross. To me, I reckon he looks like he was awesome. Yeah, um, let's talk about Mick after this. So I'm back with Johnny DiFrancesco and he's from 400 gradi, a group of Italian restaurants, and, uh, and, and he's a good operator. And he's really helped me out on the last episode of The Mentor, which was last night, where we talked to uh, Mick and Lorena at their um uh, what was it called? Pizzaola micoluccio now called Little Michael's Pizza Area, which is much better. And in fact they're, 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 they're hanging in there on Instagram, they're smashing it as far as I'm concerned. One of the things people ask me all this time, Johnny, they say to me, uh, you know, what's your work ethic? Just give me a typical day. And um because you know, they also ask me, are you driven, Mark? Because you know, you lived you grew up in a poor environment. Um, and my response to that is I don't actually think about that. Um, I just go about my business and set my day up and I do my day. What's a typical day for you? Take, a, take me through it when you first wake up. What do you do? So, so I'm typically I'm up at about 5.36. A good sleeper. Do you sleep well? I'm, I'm the worst sleeper. <laughs> same. same
1: <here. laughs> no, I don't, sleep, I don't sleep well at all. Actually, we were talking last night with Serge. He said, how would you sleep? I said, not much, mate, especially after listening to you all night. <laughs> um, so... I get up, yeah, five thirty-six. I go to the gym. Yep. So that's for me. It's pretty, you know. And I do that three times a week. I don't do it every day, um, but I think that's really important for me, uh, especially my mindset. Like Just just, you know, release a lot of the uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Um, And then I, I, you know, head straight to work. Um, When you first get up there,
0: do you have a cup of coffee?
1: Idea. I I, I used to. You know, I haven't drank coffee since uh, November. Really? Yeah. Last year. Yeah, since November last year. So, you know, now I'm, I'm drinking a hot chocolate, right? <laughs> oh, that's pretty crazy for an Italian to drink hot chocolate. But, that you know, that's what I do because I want something warm in the in the, in the morning. And I, I don't even drink tea anymore. Like that's how – so I've just cut all that out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go straight into work. And a lot of people would say, oh, do you have an agenda? Do you have, you know, uh, a diary, daily routines? I, to be honest with you, I hardly write anything down. I probably don't write anything down. Um, but you I don't, know what your routine is. You I know. know my routine, and I try not to plan my day because my my day changes so um, so often. It's seriously crazy. Like my staff would say to me, what, "What? I don't understand. How do you do this?" You know, I get family saying, "Oh my god, I, I saw you in one place, then I saw you in another place." I get up, and I know what I need to achieve that day, and I tell you, I won't go home till I, till I achieve it. So. Um, at the moment, we're doing some menu development, um, and we'll do menu development till one o'clock in the morning. I don't care if we if we say okay, we're going to put together three recipes today, and they have to be perfect by the end of the day. I make sure that they're perfect
0: by the end of the day, even if we have to stay there till one o'clock in the morning. And perfect means? Does that mean? <clears throat> I mean, pardon my ignorance because I'm not a chef, but does it perfect mean? Perfect in taste, or does it mean perfect in price and margin? It, it, the cost of ingredients, the, the whole thing. So,
1: you know, we run our recipes with um, recipe cards now. You know, we've been doing that for the last um, few years since we um, since we expanded into into the um, Middle East uh, because we had to run systems. Because obviously, uh, going over to the Middle East and and training all the chefs there that you know we're not going to be there every day. I had to have everything has to be hundred percent perfect when it comes to recipe cards. So they know you know they're measuring every little bit, even down to the salt. So we would take notes, we would do some tasting, we would uh, rejig. I mean, uh, we me and Serge were, were um menu developing until about six thirty last night I had to catch a flight at to come, here, to to come, come here. here. Yeah. So we went right to the last minute and then I went, Okay, let's wrap it the up. We've got to go, right? We've got to go to the airport. Um and out of the four recipes that we had um, listed, we got one done, right? But it was done perfectly, and and for me, perfect is recipe card, photos, taste profiles, um, pricing, and plating, presentation, everything. That's what I mean about perfect. From the time we we put this, you know, the, the dish uh, on 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 the table to to, to prepare. To all the time till we or until we uh, dish that plate up, every single step needs to be perfect. Right, right. So it's not about oh yeah, let's just put it all together, put it on the plate. Wow, that looks amazing, tastes good. Okay,
0: so how do we do it? <laughs> yeah, so it's a time and motion study, really. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's. I mean, it's the sort of stuff you would have learned if you had stayed in the engineering course. You just, but you've taught yourself how to do time and motion studies, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and and it's a time motion study, you know, like and and uh, with the and with all the costing, etc., everything, every single thing, yeah. and then that's that's how you run businesses, mm. and that's what you call. You, I mean, you talked to Mick about in the show when I don't know if we showed this bit on the show last night about how how you systemize your business. Yeah. So that you don't, so you by systemizing your business by doing what you do, having a time motion study, then putting into play in a practice, and making sure that everyone adheres to that. To some extent, it actually allows you to deal with the stress that comes about when you're not, when you don't have a system. Because when you don't have a system, you can get stressed out really easy. If you just stick to the system, just keep doing the same thing that, that's already been proven over and over and over again, you get less frustrated, which is what Mick's problem was. He didn't have any sort of study done or any recipes or any systems or any structure.
1: Yeah. And the, what and do you I think th- about that? I think, I think the biggest problem around that is accountability as well. So if, if you do have a system in place, um, people are accountable for for what's happening in the business yeah um and you know and and i don't and they didn't show it on the show but i don't know if you remember me saying to mick that if anything does go wrong in my business i blame myself i've never blamed another staff member a manager and uh, operations nothing i blame myself because i look i sit back and, and i think to myself okay what happened why did it happen and what did i do about it For it not to happen. Now, if I don't have a system in place for that certain thing that went wrong, then that's my fault. Mm. If I have a system in place and it wasn't followed through, you know, from bottom to top line, then I'm able to go to the manager and say, "Okay, let's have a chat. These this was a system. You know, you didn't you didn't follow through, or you you know you didn't even monitor whether the the staff member was following the system. What happened?" Can I put something else in place? Because you know the old saying: "You need, you need. Who's going to check the checker? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's difficult because that's how I feel in in my business. We need to have a checker for all the checkers, and then who's going
0: to check that checker? Great. So that's what management is.
1: Yeah, and and that's why I say. And people say to me, "How can you blame yourself for everything? Well, I do. It's my business. Something goes wrong, it's my fault because I need to now fix it." And how do I fix it? I had to put another system in place. So system, people think you've got a system. I was talking to Mick last night. Actually, he wanted me to say to you that he put together an eighty-page um, operations manual. And I said to him, "Good, that's that's awesome, that's man. A bit long. That yeah, all right. I said, yeah, it's a, it's a longer. I, I don't think my operations manual is, is eighty page, but I thought that is that's awesome. And and I, and I said to him, man, I, I'd love to love to see it because I want to I want to have a look at it, right? And and he said to me, oh, "Can you pass that on to Mark?" And I said, "Of course I can, no problem." And It's one thing putting together an operations manual. It's another thing implementing that operations manual. Now, we've streamlined. We've got a, and I'll talk about service, a sequence of service, right? When we put together our sequence of service the first time, we had a 20-step sequence of service. I sat back and thought to myself, we're crazy. It's impossible to have a 20-step sequence of service when a customer, or I call them my guests, they want to eat. So how do we streamline that twenty steps and bring it down to the most important three to four steps that is going to give that good service, that service that people expect in in Australia? You know, hospitable, caring. You know, quality. The whole, the whole. Thing. How are we going to do that? So we we shrunk it shrunk it from twenty down to four key, and then the rest of them will. Um, you know, follow suit drink, yeah, extras. You know, if you've got time to do it, well, then that's fantastic. If you don't, all we want you to do is these major things. And that's what happens. People put together – and the reason why I say this people put together all these manuals, but then they put them at the bottom of the drawer and they never yeah. get looked at again. Yeah. And for Correct. me, all you've done is wasted your own time because yeah. you've typed up, you know, an 80-page operations manual and –
0: no one's really looking at it. Well, if you look at Mick's 80, what well, you should say to him, if you get a chance, 80 pages, you should say, Mick, but by the way, before you send it to me, make sure you just highlight the four or five most important ones. Yeah, because that's important, it, right? That's, I think that's the they, most Mick? important thing. Because well, I know it's funny you should say because when we did our um, very first um, show, The Mentor, we had the real estate show. And um, in that, um, one of the things that um, Matt Lancashire told, who's the real estate expert from Ray White in Brisbane, told the Brisbane family who ran the real estate game, ran the real estate business, I should say, is that you need to have systems and structures. And in obtaining a listing from a vendor, which is, you know, their inventory is like your pizza. It's the most important delivery. Um, in obtaining that, there are certain steps, five key steps you have to adhere to. And there are a whole lot of other things you can do, but there are five key things you must always do yep. on every occasion. And every time you meet a vendor to list their, Property. There are five things you must do in order to get that listing, and and they're non-negotiables, right? They're non-negotiable. You can't vary from them. And if you want to cool. put seven, eight, nine, ten on it, that's great. They're the extras. Yep. But you must do these five. And I would, I, I would say, and I'm, I'm probably taking a risk here, but I would say that's probably the same in every business. In every, doesn't matter what the industry is, doesn't matter service or product. I don't care. There are five key things. In my Yellow Brick Road business, when it comes to someone coming in to get a home loan, there are five things that the good operators in my business do. Every single time, yeah. Five key things, and there are a lot of other things on top of it, but five key things. And these, and this interesting that you, we were just talking about the ten thousand hour theory. Um, what's interesting from experts, people like you, is that you spent twenty years working with those five things are. Someone who's only been in business for, like Mick, for three years. He's probably got twenty steps still, yeah, and he probably doesn't quite know that he has to bring this down to five. And he probably hasn't even worked out what the five key things are. And then when someone, he talks to someone like you who's been doing this for a long, 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 long time, you can disseminate to him or tell him the five things that you've taken your 20-odd years to learn. Correct. And that's where experts are important. That's where mentors like blokes like you are important. That's why what we're trying to do with the show is to get people like you. We had Jack Singleton on for our uh, florist. Jack Singleton came on there and he told the florist from Cornala. The five things that she needs to know. Things that Jack had worked been working on for twenty odd years. And he and and she was sort of like like Mick, she was running around looking at twenty best intentions, 20, 30 things she'd be trying to do. Like a customer would come in there before other customers over there, she'd think, I better spend a whole lot of time with this current customer, even after the sale's completed, when she should be saying, Sale's completed, be nice to this customer, but I'm gonna hand her off and I'm going to go over there and get the new customer and make sure I, I bring that because that customer might, new customer might leave if Correct. I do not pay them some attention straight away because yep. they're there to be paid attention to. So what are the key things? Pay your customer's attention. Let them know you are attending to them. I mean, I know when I come in a restaurant, cafe, whatever it is, I want someone to just come up and say, particularly in the morning, can I get you a cup of coffee while you're thinking about what you want for breakfast? Just, I'm really there for a cup. I'm not there to hang around. Yep. I'm there to – I might want – I'm prepared to wait for breakfast or spend a bit more time thinking about breakfast or waiting for it to come, but I want my coffee. To me, that would be a key thing if you're in a cafe. 100%. As soon as they're working, hey, what, what sort of coffee can I get you? And I say I'll be that, back in a second.
1: I say that about the first drink. Get the first drink on the table. Yeah, yeah. People are thirsty. That's one of they're your key ha- things. They're happy. To, that's one of my key things. They're happy to wait for the food. I mean, you know, I, I my, my thing is if people are waiting for food, as long as it's good food, they're happy to wait, yeah, correct. right? But people don't want to wait for their first drink. I, I'm the same. I'll go into a restaurant. As soon as I sit down, I'm the one that preempts the, the wait. Australia, can you bring me a bottle of sparkling water? Yeah. Because I, all I want to do is... my I want to sit there, you know, and then I'm happy. It doesn't matter. No problem. I'm here. I'm drinking my water. Then you can come over and give me the spill and and no problem. Now, I'm probably a a non-typical guest or or customer because I don't go into a a restaurant or cafe and I've never worried about the service. I'm in the game. I know the stresses. We went and had a coffee this morning, right? We waited 15 minutes to get a coffee. Big deal. But still, it would have been going through your head. No, no, no. I was looking. I said to him, you see that? They're operating, right? Didn't I say this? They're operating. And and these poor and, – and like I feel for and I, I was thinking these poor people, like they're working and you could see them working. But then when the girl um, went and, and, and she finished her coffee, there was someone else making sandwiches. A few other people run out of the kitchen and she's walked over to the counter and said to the um, next customer, um, what can I get you? Yep, 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 yep. And, and that was it and then ran off. She didn't intentionally do that because she wanted to be rude. She was under pressure. Mm. And I said to um, said to Serge, now, if they had one more person on, right, or people in here would be thinking, why don't they have one more person just to take the orders and it would have relieved all the stress. But then we as consumers need to also understand that that one more person is costing us $33 I an know. hour. And this is where it becomes difficult for a restaurant or a cafe owner because wage costs obviously are so high, you know, and I don't want to get into that, but – Having that one person may not be beneficial for that time frame of that 15 to 20 minutes of having that rush in the morning
0: because you've got to keep those people on at least three or four hours. Which means the owner of the business has got to work through that process and got to think to themselves, hang on, okay. How do I streamline this? Well, let me prioritize. And right. stream,
1: yeah. yeah, how do I make this easier? How do I create a system so I don't need Have to that person? person for and this months. is the these are the things that I think about on a daily basis. Is okay? How am I going to streamline my service without putting pressure on my staff and margins,
0: margins? But most importantly, upsetting my guests. Mm. It's funny, you know what you're talking about is working. What you're doing is you're working on the business when you think about this stuff as opposed to working in the business. Yeah. And the poor bugger you're talking about this morning in the cafe, I mean, you should have told him, Look, says, I'm here, I'm going to do a podcast with Mark, or Just do you watch The Mentor <laughs> because I'm Johnny I Can I get, help give you a hand? Because what these poor buggers do when they're working in the business, they're frantic, they get nervous, they they're like, sweating like she was
1: like, seriously, like, I'm I, 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 hardest. I, I like nearly crying. I wanted to go behind the counter and say, "Let me give you a you hand." Know, like, "I'm, know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, yeah, you uh, know," because I feel because I'm in the industry. Whereas, an a person that is not in the industry, problem is with a lot of a lot of a lot of the population today. Everything is so fast, right? Imagine everything's on the phone now. You on email, you get it. You need it. You get a text message. Thirty years ago, that wasn't happening. Twenty years ago, that wasn't happening. So, time is moving so fast, right? So, one of the key things in my restaurant is from the time you've taken the order and the time the, the order gets printed in the kitchen, the chefs have between 7 and 10 minutes to get that food at the pass. So I've created a system around how do we streamline the best quality food that you can get and also the quickest service. And
0: again, because, time and motion study. Right. Because people don't like waiting anymore. I reckon there's probably something in that—a time emotion study. I mean, like a like a podcast on it. Like actually, <laughs> if we just do one podcast on time emotion, how important they are in every business, not just your business, but every business. Johnny, this has been fantastic, but like everything, we know how long people want to listen to podcasts. They don't yep. listen for any more than forty minutes. <laughs> the world is going fast, as you say. Yes. So I don't want to. I mean, hopefully, we don't bore anybody, but um. They've only got forty minutes to spare and that's all they're gonna listen. One question I have for you, mate, it's a really important question. What advice would you give to Mick and Lorena in relation to little Michael's pizzeria? I mean, he wants to become like you one day. He sees you as a mentor. Mm-hmm. How would you pay forward to him with advice? What would you tell him? Basically, just keep your head up. Um,
1: you know, I think through the show, you know, and I watched it last night. Uh, till one o'clock in the morning. So, cause I wanted to see, cause I was on the plane, right? So I didn't get to see the actual uh, footage, but, um, most of the advice that you had given him was, you know, v- the most valuable advice anyone could give a business owner. If he puts it in motion and implements everything that you've told him. And, you know, I think I gave him a little bit of advice during our, our talk. I think if he thinks about that and, um, you know, and really, really, one hundred percent puts the effort in. Uh, you know, stay calm, because that's probably the biggest thing that I saw through the show is that Mick needs to sort of step back. I think it's it's probably better for him if he actually moved out of the kitchen for a while and put people in there and mentor them on how he wants it done without being so aggressive. Um, you know about and I, and I think by the end of the show I saw you know his whole attitude change and that was amazing because that's a transformation because he's a good bloke he's he's a he's a lovely person and yeah. his wife as well I mean you know I've known him for a few years and believe me they're so respectful they yeah. really
0: are they're amazing they're incredibly respectful yeah so and he I, hates himself coming across that way because it's not yeah him. it's not him and and I think you know it's the pressure
1: I think you know. Anyone that's under pressure sometimes blows up. I mean, I would blow up too if I was under pressure and, you know, you know, things were, were going wrong, $46 in the bank account. I've I've felt that. Actually, I was in minus. Uh, you know, when, when I saw that and it said, you know, only $46 in the bank account, I was like to myself, man, I wish I had $46 in the bank account back oh, yeah. then. Like yeah. I was in, you know, in Massive minus debt. debt, you know, it was crazy. So for me, put your systems in place. Really run your business. Don't work in it too much. I mean, you've got to be present. You know, I'm present every day at any of my stores. I'm, I'm there all the time. I'm I'm in one restaurant all the time, every single day. Be present. Be really encouraging to your staff. I think uh, people work better when, when, you know, the boss is encouraging uh, the staff. You know, give them a you know, tap on the shoulder. Say hello to everybody. This is something that I think is so important. I walk into my restaurants. I say hello to everybody. Walk around you know the mean? place. Every, hello. everybody. Going? every single person. Right? Because and and I really and I and I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I want to. Um, I'm very um, empathetic towards people. I want to know how their days. That's something that is really important for me. Like I would go up to someone if I see that they're a bit down, and I'd ask them. I'd pull them aside. Hey, everything okay? You know, can I do anything for you? I think that's really important because the staff will in, will respect you as a person. And if they respect you as a person, they will respect your brand. If people don't have respect for you as a person, they're never going to respect your brand. I don't care what you do. You could pay them a million dollars a year. They're only going to come there for the million dollars. They're not going to care about anything. They're not going to care about what the brand stands for. They're not going to care about why the brand exists. And that's really important. You need to make sure that people understand why your brand exists. And I don't mean uh, exist because you're trying to make money. That's, That's... not why we're in business. I never got into business because I wanted to make money. I got into business because I wanted to make show people what I can can give them back. The lifestyle. My business, Four Hundred Grad, is all about lifestyle. Four Hundred Grad is about coming into my restaurant, forgetting about what your problems are outside of it, and it's like you've gone on a trip to Italy, and you're sitting in my restaurant, and you're enjoying the atmosphere. And you're enjoying the relaxed uh, environment. And and it just so, you know, it is that we make some of the best food in the world. So not only are you coming there to eat really well, but you've got that whole other experience, experience which is really important. And I think Mick needs to create his own. And I don't think you or myself could ever give him the advice on why he's there doing what he's doing. When I saw that board in that room and I saw all those notes of money, the first thing that went through my head was you got to take that down. Mm. That is blinding your vision. Yeah. That I know that 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 you know, what do they call it? Motivational board yeah. is great and all that stuff, you know, and and you know, I don't personally have anything like that up on on any anywhere, but I think he should cut half of that board down, take it off where all those notes were. Because
0: I'm telling you, money blocks people's vision. You should lock that room up. And, and why I put those photographs of all his family up in his restaurant? Is the best. That, that's what I'm wanting to the, look at. That was the best thing. that Look I at so... your family, mate. That's, that's what correct. this is about. That's it's about what family. it's about, right? Make it, it a family place. Exactly. Johnny G, Francesco, yep. this has been fantastic. And I really appreciate you paying it forward, mate. Oh, and, right. uh, and you're a legend. 400 Gradi. It's a great restaurant. Italian restaurant group. And I know that you do all the things you say. You make it the experience, not just the food, but it is the experience. And by the way, in this frenetic way we live today, we all need to get into a place like 400 Grady and we need to put our brains in in a rest period and actually enjoy family, environment, other people's company, not just the food, but just actually give our brain a rest yep. because it's busy enough as it is. I really appreciate what you've done. You've paid it forward to Mick. You've helped me out, mate. It's been awesome. It's been a pleasure being here. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.